Amen. Let's pray together. Father, we, we believe that you are worthy of, of all of our lives. You are sovereign over all creation. You are, you are to be glorified above all things. And so, Lord, we thank you for worship. We thank you for all that we've been able to be a part of here already today. Lord, now as we open your word, we believe that your word is true. And we believe that we need to allow your, your truth to fill each and every part of our lives. And so this morning, Lord, would you teach us through your word more and more what it means, what it looks like to be your disciples, to be transformed increasingly, Jesus, into your very own image. Or would you change our minds? Would you change our habits? Would you change the very core of who we are in our deepest desires that we might look more and more like you? And so we give you this time and we ask this in the name of our Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. Well, if you'd open with me to Mark 6, that's where we'll be reading this morning, Mark 6, 1 through 6. Um, so for me, this last two weeks have, has been kind of a, an odd marathon of my life. And so two weeks ago, I was here with you, and I, I taught, and then um, uh, we finished up our series on Saturate, and then af- that afternoon um, was uh, the Hall of Fame game. Now, I don't know if you heard anything about the Hall of Fame game, um, but one of the cool things I got to do this year is I was on the game committee, and so... I got to be a part of the whole Hall of Fame game thing. And that we, anyway, so if you were just really excited about watching it and you were super bummed, sorry, I, it was awesome. So I got to meet, I got to meet Mike McCarthy. I met, I, I saw, I mean, I stood like two feet from Brett Favre. I met Aaron Rodgers. I shook Andrew Luck's hand. I told the Green Bay Packers to run out of the tunnel, right? It was awesome. Like, it was amazing. But in the middle of that afternoon, here's a bit of the roller coaster. In the middle of that afternoon, I got a phone call, and my good friend, member here, Neil Serby, that morning had had a major aneurysm in his brain. And so I left there. I went to Altman and was part of that stuff that night. But there I got to go be with Neil and Bonnie and his daughter and, and son-in-law, and it was just a stark kind of moment of this good friend. And Neil, a little bit of background. When I was here about a week or week, month, just first, Neil invited me um, out to breakfast with a group of men, which I was a little bit nervous about because I didn't know, like, what they were going to do to, like, the young new guy, right? And what ended up happening was a deep friendship was developed with those men and, and especially Neil, and he would take me out to breakfast, and he was a constant encourager, and a man of grace and forgiveness and love and kindness personally in my life in a way that just few men have been in the church for me. Um, And that's not saying you aren't. That's just saying that's what Neil was to me. And that that Tuesday, I left for for Thailand, and Neil um, had just been taken off some life supports, and they knew that, that kind of the end of his life was imminent. So I said goodbye to Neil on Tuesday at 9 o'clock and left for, uh, for Thailand at noon. And, you know, God did all kinds of incredible things. You know, the last time I got to see him, he opened his eyes for the first time, and I got to actually look at him eye to eye and say goodbye to my friend. And then yesterday we did his 
his memorial services right here where we got to remember his life and I believe that his, his daughter and his son-in-law and, um, and we all honored his life well. But I also, in the midst of that, went to Thailand. And in the middle of that, going to Thailand, I was able to step into a, into a culture, into a country that's less than 2% Christian. Um, <clears throat> everywhere you go, um, there's sodas at the bottom of trees and altars and um, cigarettes on altars and all these little things that they're offering, sacrifices, trying to, in the next life, have a little bit of a better life, full of, uh, pull, full of mistruth, um, full of, of false um, gospels, false things, and, and reminded, and this is where I'll say I was reminded in greater ways that Jesus truly is the way, the truth, and the life, and no one comes to the Father but through him. And I'm so grateful that I got to stand here yesterday and speak with absolute assurance that I know where Neil Serby is resting today and that he is more alive today than I am because he is free from the body of sin and death and his flesh, and he is in freedom with Jesus today. Know that. But the burden of that is that there are hosts and hosts and hosts of people in our world that do not know Jesus, that do not worship Jesus, that do not love Jesus. And for me, I would say that God kind of uses circumstances and situations to drill things deeper and deeper into our hearts, perpetually in our lives. And I will say this today, that your pastor that stands before you today deeply, deeply believes that Jesus is the way and the truth, and the life. And I want to more vigorously, in my own personal life, be committed to the proclamation of Jesus anywhere and everywhere that he will place me and put me in my life. In the text we're going to read this morning, I I believe we see something similar to this in the person of Jesus. We see in the text today, and I'm going to well, let's read the text, and then we'll tell you what we see. All right, let's do that. Mark 6, 1 through 6. Mark 6, 1 through 6. It says, He went away from there and came to his hometown, and his disciples followed him. And on the Sabbath Sabbath, he began to teach in the synagogue, and many who heard him were astonished, saying, Where did this man get these things? What is the wisdom given to him? How are such mighty works done by his hands? Is not this the carpenter? The son of Mary and the brother of James and Joseph and Judas and Simon are not his sisters here with us? And they took offense at him. And Jesus said to them, A prophet is not without honor except his hometown and among his relatives and in his own household. And he could do no mighty work there, astonishing statement about the Son of God, and he could do no mighty work there except that he laid his hands on a few sick people and healed them. And he marveled because of their unbelief. Not a great thing for the Son of God to marvel at you about. And he went out, and he went about among the villages teaching. So in this passage today, and this is, there's three things that we're going to see, and I'm just going to do those on the front. We'll talk about them on the end. But there's really three things that we're going to see in this text that are really important. And these aren't just... We, we see it happen in the person of Jesus, but it's true even in our own lives for passion. So there's three things, belief, burden, and action. Belief, a deep belief in something, right, leads us to a burden for something, and which leads us to action. Now, we do this outside the faith all the time, right? I believe, I'll make a statement, I believe that people should be healthy, right? 
And God, there's this magical pill that you can buy, right? There's a few of these out there on the market. There's this magical pill out in the market, and I believe that it actually works, which becomes a burden that I must tell all people about this magical pill, and I'm going to become a salesman for this, and I'm going to pitch it to everybody I know. And I get to relieve my burden, and I get to relieve my financial burden, right? This is how this works. And so I, I do these things, and then it leads, and what does it lead to? It leads to action. I begin to do this with my life. We do this all with all kinds of things. So I have a deep belief in this candidate, right? And because of my deep belief in this candidate, it grows a burden in my heart that everyone should know about this great candidate. And then I go out and I, I take action upon it and I proclaim this to all people. And maybe the question today for us as we look at this text, as we look at the passage, is our belief worthy? The, the thing we believe in the deepest that leads us to a burden and that leads us into action, is it worthy to one day stand before the Father and say, this was my belief and my burden and my action with my life? Every person in this room has beliefs about something that is prominent in your life that leads to a burden, that leads to an action. And so maybe to define it a little bit more, so belief is a deep conviction of truth Burden, a brokenness for, and I would say it in this way, brokenness for those surrounding us. And action, obedience to proclaim the truth that you have been given. So I, I believe in this, that we see this in the person of Jesus. And so let's look at the text. The, persistent, the first thing that we see in the, in the text is the persistence of Christ. The persistence of Christ. Now, this is not the first time that Jesus has had an encounter with his family. Oftentimes when we read these texts, we think, man, Jesus just says, hey, forget about it. This family, you know, there's no reason to even proclaim this in your hometown and with your relationships with the people around you because they, they just won't listen. This isn't, this isn't true. In Luke, we see that the first encounter we see with him in his ministry, he opens the scrolls, he begins to teach, and in Luke 4.29, after he's read the scroll of Isaiah 61, He's then going to, he's going to, they're going to be very, very unhappy with him to the point in 429, this is his first encounter in ministry, and they rose up and drove him out of town and brought him to the brow of the hill on which their town was built so that they could throw him down the cliff. Right, so Jesus' first encounter, now let's not just like read this text as something ambiguous. Jesus was a real guy that people, he really spoke from Isaiah 61, and they really took him to the edge of the cliff, and they were going to throw him off the cliff. Next time you think you are opposed, remember that no one's trying to throw you off a cliff, right? I mean, this is pretty extreme measures. And what, now, kind of every one of these instances, why are they being so extreme against Jesus? Because Jesus was saying things like this. I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but through me. I am the one and only Son of God. I am God. Only through me might you have salvation, that you are broken and in need, and you need to repent of your sins and invite the kingdom of God to come and rule and reign in your life. They opposed this message, and they began to come against him. We see the second occurrence, that, and this is in Mark 3.21. We studied this a few weeks ago, well, a while ago, right? A few months ago. It says, recently, so in this, recently he had been coerced by his family and they attempted to capture him and take him back to Nazareth, Nazareth because, says this in Mark 3.21, he was out of his mind. Literally, they thought Jesus was insane. 
And so his family came alongside of his ministry. They saw him doing all these things, and they're like, hey, let's put Jesus in a straitjacket. Let's take him up, lock him in the house, because he has lost his mind. I don't know if you remember that in Mark, or as we studied it. And so, so Jesus, his family calls him. So his immediate family, his hometown, they thought, they thought, I mean, most of them thought he should have been thrown off a cliff and killed. Then he goes back. Then, then they come to him, and they think that he should be locked up and put away. And then... Now we see in this text, here we see another attempt of Jesus to engage his family in his hometown. It seems that maybe the recent activity, and maybe we don't, I don't know the mind of Jesus, but maybe, maybe he thought, you know, that this recent activity, I mean, of calm storms, liberated a man filled with demons, healed a woman who had a lifelong plague, I raised Jairus' daughter from the dead. Maybe these things would soften their hearts in my hometown that they might hear this message again. And so in the text, it says he went to his hometown. This was the place where he grew up. He taught in public. And again, they were amazed by his wisdom. Notice this every time that Jesus teaches. They're amazed by his wisdom. They're amazed by the truth he has. But what do they do? They reject that truth. They push it away. And they reject the truth. And, you know, it's kind of this funny moment. I think they see his heritage and it makes you think, and it's like, you know, if you saw my brother Steve, you'd be like, no way Ryan could be any good if you met Steve, right? It's like that kind of thing. This is like his brothers and his sisters, his mom and dad. His dad's just a carpenter. I mean, this is crazy. I hope my brother actually listens to the sermon that I used him as that illustration. But, but there's this, there, there's this like his brothers, all this stuff, like no way this guy could be who he claims to be. And it's almost as those around him kind of disqualified him of this message in their eyes. And so, the, so in this, we see the, the, core, the core message. And he, so they saw his heritage, and what did they do? It says they took offense at him. Now, that word for offense, I don't do this often, but the word in the Greek is scandalon, and this is to sin or to stumble. And, and, and really what it is, it's almost saying that, that they believed it's, it's more than offense. They thought this message was scandalous, that, that for him to claim these things was absolutely offense to the end. And again, the core message of Jesus is the kingdom of God had come exclusively through him, that he was the son of God, and he was God in the flesh, incarnate in this world. And then he says, the prophet is not without honor. Notice that he says, a prophet is not without honor, meaning that being a prophet, who he is, it is an honorable thing. So he doesn't disclude, he doesn't minimize the call, but then he says, except... In his hometown, or his homeland, with his relatives, his immediate descent, and then his household, his closest, closest family. I don't know if you know this phrase, but remember, finish it if you can. Familiarity breeds contempt. Right? I think there's this moment in Jesus' ministry where this comes to be true. That they've spent so much time around spiritual truths. They've spent so much time around... Uh, <clears throat> The, the, you know, the Isaiah 61s, and maybe in this proper time, they've spent so much around his family that they were unable to receive truth. So I think there's maybe a commonality that we might face with these people that we think are so horrible that they rejected the message of Jesus, is we might be a little bit more like them than we think. Sometimes we become so familiar with the message of Christianity that it becomes dull to us. The good news, it's okay news. 
I've heard it before. I've heard it my whole life. Maybe that's part of the problem. We've heard things our whole life. We've studied things our whole life, yet we've never received them. We've never come to a place where it wasn't just something I heard, but something I believed. When I say believe, like believe deep in my bones. And that belief brought a burden in my heart because if this is true, then this is true. If it's true that Jesus is the only way, and if it's true that no one comes to the Father but through him, then that means that an entire nation of people where I was this week will die and go to hell without Jesus. By the way, don't tell me we shouldn't do missions. I won't hear it. Belief. And this is what he's going to hinge this whole thing on. He's going to hinge this whole thing on belief, true and genuine belief. So this is, this is <clears throat> so, so in this, what, what we see is that, and sometimes this happens in our life, is that those around us, the messages we hear, things become dull in our life. And oftentimes they become dull to those that are closest to us. Because those that come closest to us, you know, some of you that know me well, you're like, you know, you, you know all the little things. My family knows all the little things about me. And so there might be certain things that I say that, you know, like I say, as a Christian, you shouldn't lose your temper. And my daughters are like, yeah, dad, preach to yourself, right? I mean, there's these things that people close to us, they deeply know about us. And so the more we press into people, the more we know each other and the more dirty we, we all kind of see each other as being because ain't nobody in this room perfect, I don't think. Right? And if you are and you claim to be, right, Jesus says that's a very fearful thing for you. None of us are without sin or without fault. See, there's a difference in the person of Jesus. When you press into him, see, when you press into him, he becomes more honorable and he come, becomes more true. When you press into Jesus, he becomes more real and he becomes more pristine because he is without fault, he is without error, he is without blemish. There is nothing disrespectful, there is nothing dishonorable about the person of Jesus. But again, sometimes in Christianity we press in for so long without heart that our familiarity can breed contempt for the faith. But notice this, this didn't stop Jesus. His burden took him forward. And this is, I think, really, really, really important. This text is not a text to say, don't proclaim the gospel to your relatives. Don't proclaim the gospels in your hometown. Don't proclaim the gospel to your family. That's not what this text is saying. If it was, Jesus would have been, they would have tried to throw him over the cliff, and he would have been like, done, done with you. But what did he do? He went back again and again and again, saying, I love these people. I so desire for them to turn and believe and live their life for me in his glory. And so faithfulness amongst unbelief, Jesus modeled this to us more than anyone, is to keep persevering in spite of opposition. So it didn't stop Jesus. So we see the persistence of Christ, but we also see the priority of belief. The priority of belief. It says he could do no, it says then it continues, it says that he could do no mighty work there. Now this is an astonishing statement. And there's this like really huge principle inside of this. It says that he could do no mighty work there. Now he's the son of God. I mean, can he not do anything? 
I mean, if he wanted to turn their hearts in a second, could he not do that? So there's this reality in our lives. And this reality is, is that, that the sovereignty of God, right, and, and what he has given us and the capacity to act and the capacity to place belief, these things come together. And we see it in this text. And so what happens is what maybe the simple of it we're saying is belief is more than lip service. No mighty work in and through your life can happen if you do not believe. See, you don't see God doing or moving in your life. Maybe it's because we don't actually believe. I don't know if you've ever considered that. Maybe there are those in this room that actually have disingenuine faith. Now, some of you hear that, and you may say inside your own life, oh, man, I hope that's not true of me. I want to have genuine faith. Oh, Lord, I want to live this out. I I accept, like, the challenge of this text into my heart and my life. And there might be others who say, how dare you question my belief, Ryan? And for you, I'm the most concerned. That we, we, we are not humble enough to deeply consider how broken we are and the genuineness of our belief. See, a life without action, a life without burden, I think we have to question whether or not we truly and deeply believe in the things that we proclaim to say we deeply believe. Are you with me? I mean, that's just like, sorry, that's like logical conclusion. I mean, I can say all day long, I think it is a wonderful and honorable thing and every man must honor his wife. I can say that all day long, but if I dishonor my wife all day long, what does that mean about what I believe? I don't actually believe that. I can, a young man or a young woman can say all day long, they believe that you should be sexually pure before marriage. And they can act in a completely different way, which completely shows they do not believe that truth to be true. We can say stuff with our lips all the time. We're really good at saying what we believe. We're really good at putting faces on. But what Jesus, I believe, is more concerned about is genuine belief and genuine faith. So maybe in times where we feel like there's nothing, nothing productive coming out of our life, maybe it's at the very core of our belief. And I think it's worthwhile to look inwardly to discover that more and more in our life. So what happens? He lays his hands on a few, and a few are healed. He marveled. He was astonished for their unbelief. And I think the principle in this text, and a little kind of interpretation of Scripture Uh, moment here. In a parable, in a story, typically what most of the gospel writers are going to do, and we call these like a pericope, a little section of scripture. This is one of those small sections where we we get a window into the life of Jesus. Typically in these, there's one truth that 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 is being proclaimed with multiple applications. And the one truth I believe that is being proclaimed more than anything in this text is in, it's at the end of it. It says, and he marveled because of their unbelief. It wasn't about his doing. It wasn't about what he did. But he marveled at the unbelief of the people that were around him. Their unbelief. And the the point of this is unbelief hinders God's powers. But a believing and an expectancy for God to move and the power of God to work, these work hand in hand and together miraculously work. Right? The the, the, The faith of a mustard seed can move a mountain. Right? A little bit of faith can do a whole lot. No faith will do nothing. 
And the reason we don't see very many mountains maybe being moved in our life, the reason we don't see God's hand at work is maybe at the core level in our own life of belief. Believing in the one and only true God to move with great power in our lives. Now, just so you know this, 100 out of 100 people in this world, this is fact, die, right? Everybody in this room is going to die. And you'll probably hear me say it. You have heard me say it a lot. Something we kind of, we, we, maybe it's the TV commercials that say that we can live forever or whatever it is. That somehow we come to this place where we think we're going to live forever and nothing bad's ever going to happen. I mean, I really wish that my body wasn't in decay and I had that long hair that, I, that, that Debbie Johnston fell in love with, but I do not. Right, you remember it, I came back, it was like curled up over my hat, I looked super great, right? <laughs> I don't have any curly hair anymore. Uh, uh, everybody, and you know, and, uh, like, we could have a contest later, whoever's over 45, you know, who hurts more, and everybody can tear, share their stories of their, the decay of their bodies and the aches and the pains that come in life. We are all in decay. Nobody makes it. And so a lot of times when we talk about belief, we're, we're believing God for miracles of healing, whatever. And you can believe that in health, and he does that. But just so you know, Jairus' daughter, who he raised from the dead, she died again. And there hasn't been, a, I, as far as I don't know, I don't think anybody in New Testament times is still alive today. I mean, th- these are not what we're talking about belief. We're talking about belief in the power of God to move through us and use us in this world for his great kingdom purposes. This is the very like, crossroads of belief. This is not belief about you. It's not belief about our selfishness. This is about belief in God's power and his great movement coming forward in the world and believing in him, proclaiming him, and allowing him to use us in this great mission. I mean, what is he doing here? He's, he's fulfilling his great mission. So what does Jesus do? He makes a statement about unbelief and then says he continued to teach. He was not hindered in the mission. He kept moving forward. Belief or unbelief, it didn't hinder Jesus. He kept moving forward with the mission that God had placed before him. So belief is imperative for the mission to move forward. And so hear this. I'm not some sort of prosperity, faith healing preacher that's saying that if you have enough faith that God's going to heal all your infirmities, he's going to do all these things in your life, he will and he won't, and he, all that stuff happens in life and it's not ours to choose. But what I am saying is that if we place our faith and our belief in him, he will do great and mighty works through our life. Of this, I believe without a shadow of a doubt. And this is not about me. This is not about you. This is about him and his mission and his kingdom. And so how do we live this out? Well, I think it starts with belief again. The deep conviction of the truth. And the truth is that Jesus Christ, he came. And he lived a perfect life, stainless and spotless in this world. He displayed himself. He displayed his nature. He taught the disciples who would carry on this mission, but he was arrested in a garden. In all three years of his ministry, his face was turned toward one thing, and that was the cross in which he would die on. If you're looking for the Gospels for all the deep truths about Jesus' life, you're not going to find it because the Gospels are about one thing, and that is a Savior came who died on the cross for our sins. John would be the worst biography ever written about a man because half of it deals with one week. And that one week is the week that our Savior would march to the cross and be hung and die for the sins of this world. And this is the hinging point and the base point of all faith in Christianity that our Savior really came. 
He really was beaten for our sins. He was really hung on a cross. His blood was truly poured out on our behalf. He was truly buried in a grave in death. He resurrected from that grave and he defeated death. He taught for 40 days. He ascended to on high. He filled the believers with the power of his Holy Spirit. And the mission of the church began in which we are still a part of today. This is the gospel and it's true. And in this gospel message, it proclaims us, it motivates us, this belief. And so do we believe in this truth of the gospel? And does it motivate us that, oh my goodness, Jesus Christ actually loved me so much that he died for me? In what way can I repay him with my life? In what way can I allow my life to be a living sacrifice offered up to him to be lived for his good and glorious purposes in this world? Not mine any longer, but his. That my love of self is dying and my love of him is moving upward and that is compelling me. And here this belief, I believe, leads to I'm compelled now to live my life for him. And as I, as I move toward that, I begin to say, God, give me your burden. And what was the burden of Jesus? The burden of Jesus was people. He deeply desired for all people to repent and turn to faith in him. And what do we see was the, the, the imperative message of the book of Acts when the, when the disciples go out. What were they concerned about? They were not concerned about building church buildings. They did not do building campaigns, although there's nothing wrong with that. But that is not the movement that we see. They were deeply burdened for people to repent and turn from their sins and grow. Paul says that every man and woman might come to complete maturity in Christ Jesus. They were committed to seeing not only people come to faith, but being discipled and growing up in the faith, that others might come to faith, and others might grow up in the faith, that others might come to faith, and that others might grow up in the faith, that others might come to faith, others might grow up. Are you with me? I mean, over and over and over. This is the mission. And so not belief leads us to a burden to, to do and live our lives for the eternal and great purposes of our God. And this doesn't mean that we don't care about politics and doesn't mean that we don't care about health. These things are okay things, but these are not prominent things. They are not the thing. And the thing is that the Son of God has come and he has died and he did it so that I might be redeemed and others. And I want to be a part of this great mission of others coming to faith, believing in him. And so what does that lead us to? It leads us to action, obedience to proclaim the gospel with our lips and by demonstrating it with our lives. It's not enough to be, believe. It's not enough to be burdened. When true belief and burden interact, action will come. And so this morning... Maybe simply said, might we begin to pray and ask God to deepen our belief, to increase our burden for him and his purposes in this world, and might we take action upon that which he says that we ought to do? You know, a better question in action might not be, what is God calling you to do? The better question might be, who is God calling you to? See, the what's are typically about me. And we usually ask the what because we want something for God to tell us to do that we like to do so that we're fulfilled and he's fulfilled. But the who is really what God's concerned about more than anything. The best question we can ask in regards to burden and action is, who is God calling me to? And how? 
Now am I going to step into that and be obedient to him in that? See, over and over, Jesus and his disciples, they were about the who's far more than they were about the what's. See, I believe that belief leads to burden and burden leads to action. I believe we see it in this text. I believe I've seen it in my own life. And I believe God's increasingly doing that in my own life. I would say that many of you in this room have experienced that and are experiencing that greater in our lives. And might God continue to increasingly do that, that we might be more and more faithful to him. If you'll bow with me, let's pray. Jesus, Father, we come before you We believe that you are the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father but through you. Jesus, we believe that only through your atoning sacrifice, only through your body broken and blood poured out can we be made right with the Father. And for this, Jesus, we are, a, we are so grateful that you loved us so much that you died for us. You loved us so much that you defeated the grave so that we would have hope of defeating the grave. You loved us so much that you didn't leave us alone, but you sent us on mission with you in this world to fulfill your purposes, that one day when we see you face to face, we will have honored you and glorified you and made much of you. And so, Lord, help our belief to go deeper. Lord, burden our hearts for what burdens your heart. Lord, help us to take action on our lives that models what Isaiah says, that, that your fame, that your renown, that your glory, this is the desire of our hearts above all things. Lord, we long for your ways to become our ways. So Lord, help us to take greater inventory of our own lives, not just today, but all days. Help our belief to remain steady in you. Help our burdens to be that which, which burdens you. And Lord, help all of our actions to be empowered by you, by the power of your Holy Spirit. Or be with us now as we conclude in worship. Help us to to not just leave. Lord, help us to deal with whatever you're saying to us now. We ask in your name, Jesus. Amen. If you'll stand. And as you stand, we're going to sing this last song. And as always, the altars are open for you to come and kneel and pray with whatever God's saying to you. And I hope that these altars are a constant place where you can come, where you can you can deal with whatever God's saying to you. And that might be on behalf of yourself. That might be on behalf of someone else. That might be to place your faith in Christ. Whatever God's leading you to do, know these are open as we continue to move forward and increasingly loving him.